Hello, I'm Huron Zani, and thank you for joining me for more Barack Now. Barack Now. Barack Now. Welcome, Welcome to Barack Now. Now. On this podcast, we explore the music, people, and period instruments you may be discovering for the first time with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra and our digital stage, Brandenburg One. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to the Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. As always for Baroque Now, I'm joined by one of the brilliant musicians and artists bringing Baroque music to life with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. For Brandenburg regulars, today's guest will be a very familiar face and presence on stage. And what a presence. Baroque violinist Sean Lee Chen, the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra's intrepid concertmaster and guest soloist in Gloria and the Four Seasons. Hello, Sean. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> it's, um, it's a pleasure, actually, to be able to sit down and, and chat with you for more than five minutes because it seems like when we get to rehearsals, we're often uh, chasing after each other's tails or, or busy uh, dealing with everyone else's problems as well. You've always got a lot on your plate, as, uh, as I do, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I'm, it's, it's so great to be able to chat here. And, yeah, welcome to my uh, hotel room. Here in Chippendale. <laughs> so for all of our listeners, just to be clear, Sean and I are, are sitting here in the uh, hotel room that he calls home while he's here in uh, in Sydney, a long way away from um, his humble abode in Perth. So for any uh, uh, untoward bipping or air conditioning noises, I, I thoroughly apologise in advance. <laughs> yeah, I cleared the table for this, except the, the salt's still here. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have a lot of wonderful things to talk about some of the most iconic music in baroque repertoire uh, in vivaldi and his four seasons mm. but also some solo bark um that uh, that you've recorded recently yes. that's going to feature on brandenburg one shortly mm-hmm. yes perhaps you could tell us uh, firstly before we talk about vivaldi about the the solo bark project and what that entailed uh yeah look i've recorded a couple of movements of uh solo bark um as a continuation of our Brandenburg One Bach series um, that started out, I think, in COVID times. And so just uh, a movement from the prelude from the E major um, partita and the adagio from the G minor sonata. So it's sonata number one and um, partita number three. And was there a particular reason for choosing those movements? I mean, the, the, the violins with those six sonatas and, and partitas have actually quite a, a lot to, to choose from. Yeah, there's, there's, um, there's, they just happen to be under my fingers, the, particularly the E major um, prelude. Um, at that time, we were playing concerts with uh, the German violinist Jonas Chenderlein. And the concert series was called uh, Bach's Universe. That's right. Yeah. And uh, a, a bunch of us, uh, Ben uh, and Jamie uh, from the orchestra, Ben Dolman and Jamie Hay, and uh, Monique O'Day as well, uh, we we all had uh, solo Bach movements to perform in that concert. And I played the E major prelude um, a few times uh, over the concert uh, during the concert series. So. 
um, I thought probably best to use that one to record. Yeah, and and I think the once you've actually gone through that process and and perhaps performed some of something like that one particular movement so many times, mm. um, you know, for listeners, it, it's they might only see you, Sean Lee Chen, in in performance live uh, once per concert series, but actually you're performing that same concert nine times in the in the run. Indeed. And then you've got the rehearsals beforehand and, you know, all of that preparation. So you've become so familiar with the work by the by the end of the run that it's it's almost a shame not to have a, a fabulous recording of it. Yeah, look, I mean, it it just seems a logical choice. Um, uh, seemed the logical choice, I'm sorry. And uh, it it's nice to have... You know, it's nice to have that on record, and uh, it's. But it's also so it's such a different process when you're recording. Um, you know, and I'm always you know, really aware that whatever whatever goes on record is is what you get, and that's um, sometimes you know sometimes I uh, I, I do feel a little dis- you know, little disappointed coming away from it, not because I'm not disappointed the way I play or anything like that. Well, sometimes I am, but. Um, but more that, oh, you know, could have done this differently, could have done that differently and not in a sort of negative way, but you, you're always, well, something I'm always, um, searching for uh, different ways of doing things. And, um, mm. yeah, that's, that's just my feeling about it, I suppose. I think I, it's, it's a, a notion that really does go hand in hand with historically informed performance practice because we don't have recordings of how Bach intended those sonatas and petitas to be played. Um, we assume that he was playing them um, himself as well as other, other violinists perhaps around the traps while he was alive may have been um, playing them as well. But because there are no recordings, there is a certain amount of guesswork that goes into understanding how the sound was imagined, how the, how the, the, the music should sound from that perspective, but then also bringing it into a contemporary context we're not playing music um, for uh, some nobleman back in the 1700s. We're playing for a live audience often or maybe for a recording as was the case in this instance. And um, and we bring to it all of the contemporary music knowledge that we also have. Absolutely. Firstly, playing it in the concert hall um, was so different from playing it in the recording studio and um, in the concert hall because you know, we have... Um, we were in the fortunate position to be able to um, play it several times. You know, we we have a chance to try different things, and you know, we have that opportunity in the um, recording situation as well. And with HIP, um, you know, there's no a lot of the time. It's uh, I like to call it. Um, and a lot of some people call it historically imagined um, performance practice because we we there is a, there is a certain element of guesswork, very educated guesswork, but that goes into it. And so experimentation um, using the principles that you know and that you learn from from reading um, treatises and um, sort of contemporary accounts of playing. Um, you know, you base your you base your interpretation on, on those principles, and um, you always you you always feel. Well, I always feel. Oh, you know, there's there's just not one way of doing it. And there's no right or wrong. So, um, yeah, th- I think I think it's uh, it's you know playing 
something like Bach, I suppose, I mean, it's such a cliche, but you, it, it does become a life's work um, simply because um, it, it's so rich um, musically um, and philosophically as well. So, um, yeah. I'm sure we could talk about Bach actually for the entire uh, the entire time we're yeah, going to sit together today, sure, yeah. but um, but there is a whole lot of a value to get through <laughs> um, the four seasons uh, to be to be precise. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Sean Lee Chen, you are here in Sydney not as concertmaster for the first time in in a while actually, but as our guest soloist. Mm-hmm. You know your your role in this concert series. Gloria and the Four Seasons is actually to come in and, and lead the orchestra as the, the guest soloist on the violin. And you play in some of the tutties, in fact, quite a lot of the tutties, but but not all through uh, the tutties. And you, you're there conducting and leading and sort of getting the energy out of the, the, the band the whole time. Yeah, look, it's uh, such a great opportunity to be able to play the seasons again. I think last time I did it was in 2019. And... Uh, it's again, you know, like we're talking about doing things uh, differently. Um, it's, it's a chance to um, try new things, uh, different things, and also uh, maybe do some things a bit better. <laughs> yeah. So tell listeners, please, about the difference between what your role is as a guest soloist as opposed to being a concert master. Sure. Look, um, as concert master, um, often we're um, sort of following the the director, or, well, a conductor, um, and often that's Paul uh, in in the orchestra, and we're interpreting. Um, I suppose if Paul's conducting, we're interpreting his movements, and uh, my job is to kind of um, give, like, from the string playing standpoint, um, anyway. My, my job is to actually give a string version of those movements um, to keep the the orchestra together. So, like, just my, I think, uh, not that, um, you know, off, not that a conductor's gestures are uh, unclear, but um, it's more sort of confirmation for um, the string players in the orchestra um, in, in this case. Um, as an interpretation of what the conductor is um, asking us for in, in their gestures. The, the way I see it, um, having sat through quite a lot of rehearsals now actually mm. um, and uh, watched the rapport between yourself and, and Paul in many different contexts, yes. um, I sort of often see Paul's role if he is the one leading the orchestra and sort of making those artistic decisions as to how to um, bring out the sounds or what dynamics to go for or what bits of the orchestra need to really be heard here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, I see you as as an interpreter of, of that in the technical sense as well. Yes. So, so if it weren't for you there uh, and your role in, in bringing together the actual technical movements and how the, the string players are going to be coordinating their movements, then the cohesion of the orchestra uh, can can quite quickly fall away. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's um, it, it's it's very much so everyone is on the same page um, with the sounds that we're trying to create. And I do say, you know, I'm helping string players, but actually wind players do rely um, heavily on concert masters as well. Um, and... You know, it's um, it's like you're trying to help the conductor. You know, you're there to help, and you're there to, um, <laughs> like, make things easier for the conductor. Mm. Um, so it's 
yeah, it, it's there's interpretation involved and there's a lot of movement, um, but but deliberate and um, you know with the, with the purpose of you know um, uniting a group. I suppose that's mm. that's that's my and just keeping just keeping things keeping things moving i mean together yeah everyone says together but but keeping things moving together i think it's it's really important um as, as a concert master you know you just you, you've got to you've got to be able to drag like drag the ship sometimes and um and so visibility and giving really um clear and um understandable visual cues is super important and then as a guest soloist so yeah. in the context of this series um how does it how does it work obviously how have you found yourself balancing um the notion of playing to the audience as opposed to leading the orchestra look it's almost the same to be honest i'm uh the gestures when i'm playing the twitties they're not they're not very different from um what I do as a concert master, you know, it's um, because you can you can very easily lead an orchestra um, from the first chair uh, and and interpret a piece, and so. But the difference is, like when I'm playing <laughs> when I'm playing solos, I I do have to rely on the concert master to to keep things together because um, it gets a bit busy sometimes. That's right. Uh, you, you're playing without music to start off with, which yes. you've memorized this music. Um, mm -hmm. But um, but at the same time, uh, you're expected to have certain freedoms as soloist. I think you're allowed that artistic uh, space. Yes, absolutely. So um, the um, artistic space, artistic license, what do you want to call it? Uh, that's uh, that's I suppose part of the interpretation of the piece and. Um, it's the job of the concert master to interpret that and uh, fit the orchestra ar around me in the way that I suppose in the way that um, I'm asking for. Um, and yeah. do, um, in this instance, obviously, you've got Matthew Bruce as associate concert master who's mm. stepping in and, and acting as, as concert master. Yes. So how does your rapport with Matthew Bruce work? Oh, look, Matt and I have played together for quite a long time now and I've known Matt for ages and he is he's you know he knows what i'm he knows what i'm doing through the markings in the score that i've put in and so it, i suppose my interpretation in pencil is is in the scores and um he's through through the rehearsal period you know um anything that is unclear is sort of sorted out and um and uh he's even he's he's so great that even anything sort of i decided to, i decide to do spontaneously uh, is accounted for and he's very kind with that sort of thing um so and uh in this run of the four seasons there i, I do take more liberty more liberties than um than i would maybe with with other orchestras only because of a familiarity thing um yeah and i am i am stretching some friendships a little far so <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time we're creating new friendships you know we've got this rapport between yourself and jane gower on the bassoon that has come you know it, it's an incredible thing uh, i feel that's been a, a huge difference a point of difference between 2019 and then this version this year absolutely look jane is like a legend in the um period um wind woodwind world jane is one of the best uh, baroque bassoonists in in the world and we're so lucky to have 
her here and I feel so fortunate to be able to share the stage with her you know I've known of Jane since I was at university and I've heard you know recordings and seen her um from afar and um I have to pinch myself sometimes when I look up and I see and I'm playing with Jane Gower you know um in in the seasons and plus we we swapped out some of the solo some of the you know continuo bits uh with her, with with the solos with you know with the cello with with Jamie we swapped some of them out and it's just such a new even it's such a new feeling for me to be able to play those things for the bassoon and um it's it's great it's such such fun now we're going to be able to uh hear actually some of some of what we're talking about because thankfully um I actually recorded myself the uh, general rehearsal so this is a real special treat um because this is <laughs> not n- something that normally um uh, listeners would be a privy to or or b uh, have the opportunity to to sort of be there to 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 in, in the concert hall mm. to to hear um we're not in the business normally of of advertising um through our general rehearsal that really is a a, a technical side of, of how we prepare for concerts. Um, so maybe just before I put on some music, um, maybe you could explain to listeners, Sean, how general rehearsals work and, and what, is the, what is the whole point of the rehearsal in general? Sure. Look, the general rehearsal is basically the concert without an audience. Um, and we run, we, we, we run the concert and, and then we make notes after the run. So it's, the idea is to play the piece all the way through and then um, see how it went and talk about it. Yeah. And then maybe if there's time, fix things. But if – and, uh, yeah, that's what a general is. <laughs> and it's also, I think, in this uh, concert series, it was an opportunity f- to try and run the show as a show with all the lighting and bells and whistles because we've got a lot of that going on. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I it was it's good practice to do things like that, you know, especially with the with the lights this time, uh, and actually even with with the costumes, you know, I found the shirt I used in the general rehearsal really uncomfortable, and I was actually holding on for dear life with um with the instruments. So uh, it was it uh, it was great to have that because the shirt was just not ideal. It's uncomfortable, and I actually had a bit of trouble with it so we changed shirts and uh, also the lights um where, you know i wasn't expecting um that sort of temperature and of course with gut strings uh with uh, climate changes um you know we we the, the strings are really sensitive to those things so we uh we kind of got a gauge of um what needed to be done tuning wise so yeah they're, they're hugely useful and um general rehearsals you know mm-hmm. um, so why don't we start at the beginning of the concert now uh, all the house lights have come down mm. and 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 uh, Sean Lee Chen has walked out uh, you know to a great applause yeah. uh, and uh, and and what do we hear at the, right at the start of the concert uh, <laughs> apart from the sound of me tripping over my own foot um, we well, I guess we're hearing spring, aren't we? That's right. Um, yeah, at, in this concert, and we hear, uh, you know, in this case, um, my, I, I suppose, you know, this this movement is the most famous, probably, of the four seasons. Um, we hear it everywhere, and um, there's, y- you know, it 
how can I put it? It's so, it's so popular and um, people, you, you just, you kind of just take it for granted almost mm. that, that it's there. But um, I suppose what, you know, the in this interpretation, I had to sort of ask, you know, what is spring to me, you know, um, and how do we portray spring um, in terms of it, um, how it feels and how it sounds, how it might sound. Um, and uh, also we have to consider you know, what spring is like, for what spring was like for Vivaldi. Perhaps, you know, he wrote this in Mantua, you know, um, although Vivaldi's probably more well-known for his time in Venice. Yeah, he wrote this in Mantua. He, he dedicated this to a bohemian count um and um so yeah what you know what does spring mean and i i suppose in 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 this interpretation i i just thought well you know let's not make it too pompous or genteel let's um make it quite full-bodied and festive i just feel it's a it's a festival of of many things you know um and you know rebirth and bloom and things like that so that was the idea behind spring well let's have a listen to sean lee chen leading the australian brandenburg orchestra and paul dyer um, performing the opening movement from vivaldi's concerto number one from opus eight spring Now, as the birds take us off and flap their wings, <laughs> um, could you tell us about um, the sound of the orchestra then, and and what we just what we just heard? So you've you've explained that a, a little bit, but um, how does the Brandenburg sound? How how do you get to that Brandenburg sound? What is it that you guys work on in rehearsal specifically to try and encapsulate those those ideas that you spoke to us about? You know, um, we we always start with like really basic um, principles like of things like beat hierarchy and direction, you know, really cliche things about music that, um, that feature very prominently in historical performance. Things like, okay, where are we going to take this phrase, lengths of notes and stuff. And we do get quite um, specific about it all, but then we try and sort of make it an organic thing as well. Um, and also balancing how we balance uh, top and bottom um, of you know the bass and the treble, and it's in this case I I asked for quite a heavy bass so that we didn't um, necessarily um, get into that sort of cliche sort of way of you know, of playing classical music i guess i'm out mm. the more the more chocolate boxy yeah. way of playing that everyone's heard because i mean th this piece really has become um it's it, immediately recognizable absolutely yeah and so you know i mean i don't want to sound cynical or anything like that um but it's you know we the idea of balancing it towards the bass was to sort of give almost a percussive and 
and um, and festive sort of feel to spring. And um, I think, uh, you know, you can hear it in that. And um, and in I even said to the violas, you know, you you have to you have to treat it like a drum, but they thought that was a viola joke. And then I thought that, see, that's quite a good viola joke. <laughs> but, um, but, but said with a yeah. lot of love, seeing as you, you yeah. yourself are a viola practitioner. Yes, I, I dabble. But, you know, like, play it like a drum. I, they they kind of just looked at me. They, they didn't get the joke, but somehow everyone else did. <laughs> well, we, we uh, are sending a lot of love towards Monique O'Day, Marion Yeomans <laughs> and Aisha Goodman, uh, especially Monique, who is obvi- obviously a founding member of Brandenburg and is almost like the mother of the, <laughs> yes. the, the whole organization. Yeah, no, but it's, that, that was the idea behind that, just to have a real, almost a carnival atmosphere at the start of spring. Yeah. Perfect timing there, Sean. Yeah, um, pretty good. Now, we were talking off air actually about um, where this music may have come from and Vivaldi self-referencing and, and the sorts of things that uh, a lot of Baroque composers and, in fact, composers still do today. And and you were telling me about an opera, Il Giustino. Would you maybe uh, regale our listeners with, with that story? Uh, yeah, look, basically the tutti from spring is used as the Sinfonia uh, for uh, Act 1, Scene 5 in Il Giustino. So So let's have a listen to um, Accademia Byzantina and uh, Ottavio D'Antone's version um, of Il Giustino. So this is the Sinfonia from Act 1, Scene 5. And uh, and obviously the the music will speak for itself, but um, but I think it's it's also a lovely lovely recording that uh, that you'll enjoy. And as we could hear there, I mean, it's it's very short. It's almost like a synthesized version of the of the whole movement, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. Now, after spring, uh, then comes summer. Tell us what's special about your rendition of summer this time around. What are you trying to work on with the with the orchestra? Um, just at the very beginning, uh, you know, I, I think I took the text quite <laughs> literally and um, divided sections into um solo and tutti um you know the sonnet um talks about uh, men and flocks uh, languishing in the heat uh just getting getting uh hot and bothered and not uh probably not enjoying it too much and also you know um the concept of um the breathing as well like the um suffering and so uh we we have we start in a solo um for a couple of bars and then um 
we answer with the tuti, the flock answers with the tuti. Um, you know, and just just playing around with that idea, um, mm. whether it's whether it's right or not. Well, it's an interesting right. idea, and and in yeah. fact, it's it it's almost similar to an idea that I that I heard uh, from Nigel Kennedy of all people. Which, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, because he he hit on something as an asthmatic himself mm. that Vivaldi uh, presumably was actually asthmatic because he had a, a condition that was the the reason for him no longer uh, having to say mass and and actually perform his priestly duties, mm. and it, you can't separate Vivaldi from the church. In fact. The, you know his duties no, no. were certainly inseparable, and and the fact that he was working the hospital, the Pio Ospedale della Pietà, was only because of the the, the fact that he was actually you know a, a priest. Mm. Um, so it's it's interesting that Nigel Kennedy, being an asthmatic, uh, would would pick up on the same sort of suffering and, and the the oppressive nature of of heat, the heat of summer, as uh, as something in his own interpretation that he that he references. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's um, what I was trying to say is like it's the panting, isn't it? It's like that sort mm. of yeah. And but the, with with the yeah with the asthma situation, yeah, Kennedy. I mean, that's you know that's one of the great interpretations of the season, the original one. It's just. It's, it's just amazing um, and uh, because it, it's so – it's such a vivid sort of portrayal of the text sometimes and, um, and you know, I'm not going to lie, I definitely you know, took some cues from that uh, for this for, for, for the, and previous, you know, interpretations of this, of this piece and it's – I think because it is, you know, this program music um, – you know, sometimes you do have to kind of go a little bit over the top with, with, um, with you know the portrayal of the text and, mm. and take it a little bit literally like that. And that this is one of them. This is one of the situations where, yeah, it's you try you're trying to make it sound like it's a hot day again. You know, yeah. yeah. So this is Sean Lee Chen, um, of course, leading not Nigel Kennedy, leading the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra and and, <laughs> and Paul Dyer, <laughs> um, performing the opening movement from Summer. And as Jane Gower and the continuo section starts weighing in on things there, um, it's it's fascinating. I really got that depiction that you were talking about the oppressive side of of, of heat and and um, and what you were talking to just before. 
Yeah, look, I mean, it's it's all... The idea is that it's um, all very rhetorical and, um, you know, with, with, with the pauses and to, to just to make it as convincing as possible. So, and I think, um, you know, that's... And that's that's a big thing in in baroque music and baroque music as well. You know the rhetoric and things like that. And um, and using I suppose um, all the two all the tools of rhetoric. You know, as um, musicians, as, as as the orator. You know, you I think I think especially with a piece like this, you really do have the freedom uh, to to be convincing in in a really dramatic way. Um, when the opportunity arises, and this is definitely um, one of those um, instances where, um, you know, pauses and um, and and speeding up and slowing down, you know, all the push and pull is very useful. Um, and also, yeah, um, it's almost like a it's almost like a little conversation, you know. Um, where where things are where something is said and then something is confirmed and things like that. So it's mm. um it's it's a really it's a really interesting um start of a movement. Never get sick of that start because it's such sort of genius writing. Um yeah. Obviously as as you briefly mentioned, rhetoric and how important it is in the the as you we've we've talked about historically informed performance practice, you know the idea of communicating these things to the audience through the gestures, through um, the the way that you play your instruments mm-hmm. in a quasi conversational way. Yeah. it's the material was written in in that in that vein, but also the way that you as performers enact those 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 ideas. It's it's a very powerful difference point of difference between what the Brandenburg does and what you do, Sean, um, compared with um, sometimes more you know. More Modern interpretations. Yeah, look, it's an interesting like that's a, that's an interesting topic in itself because I think you know as modern listeners we have so many different other stimuli. You know that you know this was the only music they had, and one could argue that um, you know the the representation, musical representation of um, these um, of, of the program, particularly the program, you know, the sonnets is doesn't need to be um well may not have been so um how can i put it like <laughs> they didn't need to you know ram it down your throat sort of thing mm. and um it may not have been as dramatic uh, because people kind of understood um understood things in a different way you know like what what things represent what what, what what things were represented musically, perhaps, and they they did. You know, the edu- the music education was far more rigorous than, um, in many ways than what we have now, because they were only dealing with with that music, and you know, um, and so um, the way we, the way we sort of the sound world that we're we're trying to create is, of course, we're trying to replicate re- replicate what, you know, the the sound world of back then that. Um, in in terms of you know um, how we express some things um, and how we cater to current audiences, you know, um, like maybe maybe what I'm doing might be a bit too over the top. Who knows? Like I don't. That's something that's very difficult to um, 
to gauge because we don't have recordings. We do, but we do have contemporary accounts that you know that do say you know things things did get a bit over the top sometimes. And mm. So it's it's really hard to it it is difficult to um to to kind of even replicate that sort of thing because you do get con- you get um conflicting accounts mm. but then yeah. and the simple reality of a lot of this music as well was that it was being you know forwarded it was being promoted by the people that were playing it these are you know performer composers they're not just a performer or a composer that's right and if they're not you know spruiking their own music and able to show their talent uh, at both of those tasks then they're less they were less likely to be offered work that's right yeah. um which is an important thing to keep in mind too mm. So continuing with uh, the idea of modern or more contemporary interpretation, actually, I want to uh, pick out a a particular moment in the first movement of Autumn where Jane Gower gets a a, a wonderful chance to shine, but also Rob Nan. Yeah. Now tell me about Rob Nan and and the the rapport that you guys have. Oh, Rob's Rob's just great. You know, Rob's Rob's been around the traps. He was – he's – very very um, experienced musician. Like he, he, God, he taught at the early music course in Juilliard and everything. You know, again, I'm I'm just so lucky to be able to play with these, you know, these giants in our in our industry in our world. And Rob Rob's always up for anything. So um, I said, look, you know, why don't we um, do something different in this one section? And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, why not? We'll do that, and also, you know, with Jane, um, in this in this movement, um, we we you know often traditionally the cellist plays this this um, little uh, intoxicated duet that it's in I think it's the second solo in the autumn, but um, we put Jane in there, which is uh, which she's very along with myself, we're uh, very committed to portraying. A, a drunk person which is great because i i can't drink i um break out in hives and <laughs> my tongue swells up and like a potato so it's i just stay away from stuff but i can pretend because i've i've seen i've seen it and um so yeah jane and i have a little go admittedly um i did you know i did pinch this idea from um one of our most amazing guests uh the you know pro- Shunsuke Sato, I mean, he's one of the greatest living violinists right now. And I, I stole this from him and I'm, uh, I haven't texted him yet. He lives really far away, but I would probably tell him I stole it from him. Oh, look, we can send him an email after we've finished recording yeah. and just, you know, <laughs> a um, bit of a shout out. Yeah, yeah. So this is, uh, as Sean was saying, the second solo from the first movement, of autumn and uh, and uh, listeners uh, hold in there because uh, if you haven't seen the concert live already, there's a wonderful moment uh, between Sean Lee Chen and Principal Violone Rob Nan.
Now, as the orchestral sound returns to something resembling what people would more normally associate with this movement, um, tell us about that little moment there. Oh, uh, yeah. Look, um, with Rob, yeah, I just, I just said, can you just play a walking bass? Because this, you know, I, I think I always struggle with what to do in that bit. It's like, it is just. It's like him. It's like the drunk guys sneaking around a little bit. But like, I thought, well, you know, why don't we just, why don't we just take it elsewhere? Just, just a bit of artistic license here, and just do that. And another interesting sound that we haven't talked about yet in this movement, actually, where it features heavily, is the lirone. Mm, now, yeah. tell tell me about that instrument and and how its sound complements the continuo section. Well, you know, it's it's a little bit of an ironic sort of addition. It was. Definitely, it was Paul's idea. Like, um, it's usually, you know, it's it's an instrument that you hear in Monteverdi, and and um, you know, it's usually I usually associate it with like all the beautiful arias in Monteverdi operas, um, and but we've we've kind of brought it into the sort of peasant realm, um, and I think that's the irony of the whole thing. It, kind of sounds like a hurdy-gurdy a little bit in, in this and we're using it for for that purpose. Um, and we have the, we have a great Lirone player, a versatile, um, who, who is actually also um, a cellist in the orchestra, Anthea Cotty, and she was um, she was up for it. So we, we, we had a go. I, w- I, I didn't know what it was going to sound like actually. So we had a go and I thought, man, that's... That's such a great idea. So, it it yeah. adds a bit of warmth to the continuous sound. It's incredible, actually. It sustains as well. Yes. Um, it's a bit quieter than the the cellos and the other instruments around it. But but the the nature of the the way that Vivaldi's written that line, it it's cutting through, and actually, we're we're re- it really does add something. It does. You know, it really um, it 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 really adds. Uh, I suppose weirdly a rustic element which is just not how what well, i just missed. i just don't think of that with that instrument and it's so um that was you know kudos to paul for suggesting that because i i would have never thought of that yeah so, yeah for me actually having listened to all of the rehearsals and the general rehearsal and several concerts already yeah. it's actually in the third movement of autumn that the lirone sound sustains and comes through and uh and almost provides a, a soft pillow that, um, that, that permeates the movement. Um, tell us about what, uh, what you were doing here with, uh, with the third movement of Autumn. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's the hunting expedition, isn't it? It's, and um, 
I actually, uh, the first idea I had was um, to make it um, actually a gradual accelerando from the very start. Start it really, really slow and get faster and faster and faster all the way through. But um, it's ended up being more, uh, a little bit like that, but just a lot of very tempy um, to, I suppose, to portray the hunting expedition. And uh, it's, you know, the orchestra has been just amazing with all the temp- tempo changes and things, you know, and you know, chasing the beast around gunshots with um, slightly modern techniques, like, well, actually not that modern actually, because Bieber uses it. Um, there's um, Bartok pits and uh, we call it Bartok pits, but, you know, just pulling the string and letting it hit the fingerboard. Um, uh, and also... Um, you know, imitation of imitation of horns and and things like that and um playing with the orchestral responses to the solo a lot really really highlighting that really highlighting the dialogue between or really more it's not it's not really a dialogue dialogue such a you know cliche word to to use but highlighting the the, the relationship between what's going on in the solo part and and the orchestra and you might think oh well that's you know that's what you're supposed to do anyway isn't it but like really like going to town on that and um really i i actually it it's i certainly feel like i'm being chased in it so when i'm playing it um and uh, i and it's a good feeling because then i feel well we're achieving what we set out to do and you know i don't think that you know, maybe not everyone will 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 like will like it because uh, but um, um, you know, I'm standing my ground. But like, yeah. it, um, because it it is very different from, um, I think from how perhaps you know it's traditionally sort of um seen. But um, I suppose that's just how I see this this movement. I think, to be honest, autumn I think is the most innovative um concerto out of out of all all of them. I think it's the um. It, it's it's an incredible i think it's such an incredible piece it's also the hardest it's real hard <laughs> <laughs> well let's listen yeah. to how the lirone adds to the uh, the orchestral sound here and how sean lee chen is being continually chased um throughout the third movement of autumn
Now, if listeners would like to hear more, they'll have to come to the concert because it is certainly an incredible interpretation and well worth the price of admission. <laughs> Sean, we, there's one more concerto we haven't talked about, which is winter. Probably mm. the, maybe even more than any of the others, uh, the most uh, emblematic of the seasons because mm. of how incredible. I mean, the, the writing here and the, the vision that he had for depicting cold and, and also the room, the space there is within the, the, the material to actually create a different sense of cold almost every time if you feel like it. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's emblematic and it's also enigmatic. I think in like the beginning is just so. Um, it's it's really. I mean, it, there's been so many interpretations of the start, you know. And what I'm doing is not particularly new um, with the Ponticello, um, and um, you know, but but I guess it's it's always going to be slightly different whoever does it, but. The idea is to um, show how desolate and desperate um, one can get when they're too cold. Um, you know, not, not like just forgot your jump or anything, like, but like, you know, freezing, like freezing, like, and um, and so... I, I think it's it's the sort of it's painting a picture of cold through sound. That's the that's the idea, and so um, and how uh, the Ponticello, you know, it has a really sharp edge to it, and it's how the cold can you know just cut through you, um, and of course the shivering that's written into the part, you know, um, those things together in in a fairly um, in, in in this version in a very quiet. Um, start but one it's it's quiet but it's really menacing that the idea that it, it, it's quiet and menacing and th- and threatening you know but like it, it's a sort of environment i suppose where you know you just feel like nobody hears you scream that's the um a little bit that, and that in creating that suspense through the music in the dynamics that we use um and then after the first um solo which depicts the wind um and the first entry um, in in C minor from the orchestra, um, it's just a different view of cold. You know, it, it's how devastating and how um, imposing and um, just destructive the cold can be as well. And that's that's the idea behind you know the the two uh, the, the, the the two portrayals of of cold, I suppose. I, I've or I've got literally goosebumps sitting here because I've I've heard you guys play it and I know exactly what you're talking to. So I won't keep listeners waiting any longer. So this is the opening of Winter, uh, portrayed here with this incredible Ponticello sound that Sean has crafted over several rehearsals. And it's it's not uh, if you get shivers down your spine, it's not by accident. They have really honed this sound, and I think it's incredible what you've done here.
And as things creep towards one of the most climactic moments in Baroque music, um, Sean, I mean, I've, I really do have goosebumps. It was incredible, the, the sound that you guys created there. Um, how different uh, did this feel to 2019 for you in terms of working with the orchestra and crafting this, this sound? Um, I, I think I just had a few different different ideas. So I'd sort of, um, you know, I had, I had the chance to play it a few times in, in Perth during COVID. Um, so, uh, and then to sort of digest, I suppose those those performances, just to think about them, and then uh, and then not play, and then not play it for a while, and then just um, when Paul sort of um, offered me the opportunity to do it again, I just thought to myself, oh, well, you know, um, how am I going to do it differently and stuff, and you know, with this piece, like. You always think, God, oh, do I have to reinvent the wheel and all this, all this stuff? You know, do I have to um, do anything crazy? But um, I, I guessed, you know, there's actually I'm just rambling on, aren't I? But like, <laughs> um, look, the difference in approach has come from I think a familiarity with the piece and. Um, the idea of, you know, painting an image through sound, like, I mean, it sounds so pretentious to say that, you know, but like to bring, um, and like most people, you know, you, you want to bring, you want to bring the program to life. You want to bring the sonnets to life and you want to give, you, you want to put forward your idea of, um, what you think, um, the weather might look like in sound, the weather might sound like rather. And um, that's really my, that's really just been, been the goal and um, just, and, and to really maximize, I suppose as, as well, um, the relationship between the sonnets and the music, you know, um, you know, there's, I mean, there's humor in it and, um, and there's also, you know, there's high drama in, in this piece and you know, it, like you just heard in, in winter and to sort of, to really milk that is, is really important, you know, um, for, for, for interpreting any piece, but particularly this, I suppose in this one, because, because of the program, um, you know, it, that's what makes it sort of a timeless piece as well, mm. because people can come back to it over and over again and, um, have a different view and a concrete, very concrete view of 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 of, of the piece because it's, it's it's like it's all written into it, isn't it? So, um, yeah, the, I just all I all I really wanted was to not do it in the same way. And I think um, another thing, as you were talking there about familiarity, that I, I thought of. Uh, is that not everyone is so familiar with this uh, this music. And I remember the look on my uh, two-year-old son's face when I played him that this literal, this same ep- excerpt for the first time. It's the first time he's ever heard this music. And it was in, he was incredibly engaged with what he was hearing because it is such a fascinating 
sound and the the it, it seems to depict a world that has has very strong meaning even for for a two-year-old that hasn't necessarily experienced the the cold of a, a European winter like that or the the freezing wind as it comes rushes down the the, the, the from the Dolomiti yeah look um yeah god I'd love to go to the Dolomites let's go <laughs> yeah <laughs> um dream was to ride my bike there once but yeah I don't think I could do that now but you know this I mean this type of thing with the Ponticello has been done a lot and um, it, it is very effective and, um, and and contrasting it with the sort of big entry um, I think is where the effectiveness might might lie in, in this current interpretation. I think that's sort of, you know, that, that creates this um, uh, sort of um, dual sort of... Um, portrayal meaning of this of the cold sort of so to speak but um, you know there are recordings out there that are just as just as successful as um portraying cold and and one of them is actually um a fairly recent one by ricardo minassi where he just plays it straight he just comes in forte you know the whole orchestra is playing forte and it's just you know um it's basically just played as the music is written like just real, real straight and it's 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 terrifying it's so great um and it, it's so effective as well so um there's um there's so much room for interpretation and um and convincing interpretation that you could really you know you can you can um you can really go to town on it this album the four seasons was released by the orchestra la Cintilla. Um, featuring Ricardo Minassi as soloist in 2020. Um, and it's, it's as you're saying, Sean, it's a fantastic recording. So now we're going to hear that version, very same movement, but very different approach, um, the opening movement to winter. And also um, it's played on, I think, the violin that um, my violin is modelled from. I bought my violin from Ricardo and this is the uh, original uh, Amati, Andrea Amati, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> So as Ricardo takes off there, I mean, we can hear some really stark differences between this and, and what we just heard before. 
Uh, yeah, and, and you know, I think it's it's every bit as effective, and and ex- and it's it's actually um, terrifying from the very start. Yeah. Basic, basically, um, rather than you know, building any suspense, you just go straight into um, a world of terror. That's right. Um, another violinist I know, Sean, that you have a good rapport with. Uh, was uh, almost like a fleeting uh, rapport or a fleeting uh, connection because it was during the Brandenburg program Karakoram back in 2018. Now, I was lucky to be a part of the small vocal ensemble and we were backstage and Mokhan Adlani, who was um, the violinist for La Camera delle Lacrime and yourself and Ben Dolman actually was there too, you were you were playing to each other some, some little excerpts from a particular um, Turkish melody Melody. And uh, and it was fascinating because Mokhan, uh, obviously in, in his music tradition, is used to dividing uh, a, a tone not in just two semi into two semitones, but actually into nine different intervals. And it's it was none of us could really hear these microtones the way that he was imagining it. But but yet we were all there, fascinated, and you you were playing your violins together. Maybe do you want to tell us a little bit about that um, that story and and what you learned from Mokhan, perhaps? Yeah, look, he's he was just such um, uh, just a great um, musician to be around, and uh, we were talking about um, you know how to divide um, the sort of syntonic comma, um, and I mean that's just, it's basically playing in uh, microtonality in in certain. Um, and melodies that he was he was trying to teach me and um, showing me, um, you know, what perhaps like an Algerian comma would sound like, and then an Iranian comma. Um, it's, it's hard to explain, but like you know, um, I guess what we would uh, what we would usually deem like a minor third uh, in so like how we how we play the third degree of. Um, of a minor scale um, in in the melodies he was teaching me and like you, you generally you just play it a bit sharp and it has that sort of you know that that flavor but he was trying to tell me like how sharp and and where to, you know where to place it and look I, to to be honest I I just actually couldn't hear the difference but I was uh, there was a little bit of a language barrier and my French was my French is non-existent so um, I was just kind of nodding. But um, like the difference, you know, to like he kept saying, oh, you know, this one's Algerian and this, this one's Iranian. And I was like, yeah, what a huge difference. But I actually couldn't really tell. But he did teach me, um, he did teach me a, a melody and I really liked it. And, um, and so um, as a nod, you know, to the sort of, um, I suppose, um, you know, Middle East, Middle Eastern sort of influences, um, you know, in in um, that 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 Vivaldi might have, um, you know, well he he did, you know, like the sort of I won't even say Middle Eastern but Eastern influences in Vivaldi's time and his music, you know, he wrote that um, Concerto Grosso Magul and things like that, you know, as a nod to the sort of the the um, the existence of of that music in Venice at the time and the sort of the, the presence of that music in Venice at the time, the presence in the architecture and the pre- and also in, in 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 like 
of those people there at the time that in in the trade situation um i uh i thought i would just put this melody that Mokran taught me into um, in between two movements of summer i uh, just kind of used it as a lead into the second movement um so let's jump back into the the recording from the general rehearsal and hear that segue. Um, it's a it's a beautiful moment, and um, and I'm sure uh, listeners will agree that it actually seems to work rather well. A little bit of cultural appropriation right there, though. Yeah. <laughs> There we have the start of the second movement of summer. It's it's a fantastic segue, and again, one of those real points of difference between I feel your interpretation this time around with 2019, but also with other interpretations that we've even explored on on you know together just today. Yeah, look, um, it's uh, I guess I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I'd thought about that one for a little while, you know, and uh, it it really is just a little reference to, I suppose, cultural exchange in Venice um, uh, at that time. But I mean, like, I think it's I think it's an I think it's an Arabic tune. I um I do have to probably ask Mokran for some clarification on that. But like, um, you know, I think Islam in Italy has um been uh, is, is islamic islam in italy has existed for well, well was there much earlier like way earlier like we're talking i think single digit centuries as well so but yeah with venice um yeah you can you can see it in the architecture as well and um certainly um Vivaldi wasn't wasn't the only composer to um reference um you know the sort of cultural diversity in in venice well, through through music. Yeah. Well, it has been a pleasure talking with you today, Sean. I, I thank you so much for giving us the the inside knowledge and tips into into the things that you've brought to life in in um, the four seasons this time around in twenty twenty three. Oh, look, so cool to talk to you here, and um, yeah, thanks for having me on the show, and uh, really look forward to the remaining performances um, and also uh recording this uh for brandenburg one um, that, 
That's right. Yeah. So have you got any shout outs today that you'd anyone you'd like to say hello to? <laughs> um well, I suppose to, yeah, because I'm away from home to um my wife Catherine and my two kids, Noah and Daphne. Um at the time of recording, I think Noah's just five weeks old now. So um uh, a little sad to be away from home right now, but so honoured to be able to play the um, the seasons with uh, ABO. Um, yeah, and, um, you know, just want to, um, you know, like dedicate these to um, my, um, my teacher, um, Daphne, um, who we named our daughter after, I mean, like, Daphne passed away um, a few years back now. It's actually when I played Locatelli Concerto with Brandenburg. I can't remember what year it was that, 2000, 2009 or something. Yeah. 2010. And, um, but, um, you know, I think Daph always said that I should play more Baroque music. And so um, this is what I'm doing. And um, yeah, I'm re- just really sad she can't hear it. But yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's a it's a wonderful thing to be able to even um, you know have have those sorts of people in our lives and in, as influences to draw on, even if they don't necessarily get a chance to hear what we what we do. Being able to imagine that and um, and perform in that way. Yeah, she told me not to pull faces when I play, but I still do. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, to see some of those faces that Sean Lee Chen does still pull on stage, <laughs> please uh, don't hesitate. There are only a few concerts left in Sydney and then uh, the Brandenburg will be heading to Melbourne for three concerts, um, May 11, 13 and 14, where we are awaiting a full house, Sean. There's going to be, you know, not just the recording going on, but a, a, a huge um, a huge audience to be able to see you. You're freaking me out, man. <laughs> Well, thanks again for your time today, Sean. It was uh, it was a real pleasure. It's my pleasure is all mine. Thank you, Hugh. Thanks for having me. In July, discover the Sufi whirling dervishes of Turkey's Meblevi order in Ottoman Baroque. This rare live experience blends traditional Turkish and period instruments, choral settings of Rumi's poetry, and a world premiere commissioned for the Brandenburg Choir. Don't miss the whirling dervishes as they spin gracefully into a mystical trance to purify their hearts and commune with the divine. Book your tickets now at brandenburg.com.au.